everybody, and welcome to Brokerage Insider, the podcast where we interview the leaders in real estate and technology. I'm your host, Eric Stegman, and I'm the CEO of Tribus. We're one of the largest independent property technology companies in real estate and provider a custom brokerage technology to medium and large brokerages in the United States, Canada, and now even around the world. In addition, I'm the managing partner of Tribus Capital, a private equity fund focused on the property technology industry. On today's episode, we have Matt Shaw. Now, Matt's the CEO of a property technology company called Blimp Homes. Blimp is a mobile-only real estate tech company that helps agents connect with their clients and other parties in the transaction. So, Matt, thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks for having me. Great. Well, I'm, I'm excited to dig in and learn a little bit more about your company. To be honest, you know, until we, we chatted here about you coming on the show, I hadn't heard of you guys before. So I'm really interested in learning more about what you guys do. I did get a chance to play with your app. And so for all those folks listening, you know, feel free to jump into the app store, either Google or Apple uh, app stores. You're, you're on both and you can go download the Blimp Homes app and, and play with it. But first... Let's talk a little bit about your history and how you got into real estate, because that's something I'm always very interested in. Now, when I when I took a quick peek, it looks like you come from a history in the banking world, the, the fintech world, and then recently you kind of got into the blockchain world. So what what caused you to have a jump into real estate? Yes, thanks very much. Well, my background, as you, as, as you rightly say, is a bit varied. And I, I, I started my career in investment banking. I was an investment banker for over 20 years. But I was um, always very much involved on, I would say, the cutting edge side, you know, the innovation side. So I was very deeply involved, for instance, in building the capital markets in Central and Eastern Europe and Russia. And that led me to, 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 to down various avenues eventually into investing in real estate personally. Really, that was probably my first foray into the real estate space. I mean, I guess growing up in London, you know, everybody <laughs> is slightly obsessed with property. And, you know, certainly, you know, my, my experience was trying to get on the property ladder at a young age, going through a bit of a boom and bust, and then, and then eventually sort of investing in other properties abroad, you know, partly because of my banking background, I traveled around quite a bit. So I've lived in several countries and ended up, you know, buying properties in obviously UK, but also France, Cyprus, Switzerland, Canada, and, and also the US. And I think my experience in the US was one of the reasons which really piqued my interest to, to get into this space. Well, you know, obviously, if you've, if you've done that level of investing in ownership of, of properties, I can see where, where you'd be interested. But do, do, you, do you or anybody around you have any formal brokerage side of the business? Because the reason I ask the question is a lot, a lot of times, you know, people that start in this world usually have come from they were an agent before, a broker before, a family member was an agent or a broker for, before, et cetera. But it, from what, what you just said, it didn't sound like that was the case. So you were an investor and, and owned property and then decided to jump in and, and help solve a problem. Is, is that what I'm understanding? Yes, that's, that's my personal experience. But of course, other people in the team have got deep experience in this space. One of our co-founders, Ben Clark, was, I think, a member of the founding team very early on at Zillow, for instance, and has um, a long experience in the real estate data space. And some of our advisors have, have, have had illustrious careers in real estate as well. But you're right, my, my own experience really is, I suppose, really an interest in systems and, and problem solving, and then also as a consumer. And I think, you know, my, again, my experience in the US was quite, quite significant from, from, you know, its impact on me. 
I mean, I think that every country has its own quirks. I mean, the UK, for instance, you know, buying a home in, in, in England is, is quite strange in some ways, quite quirky. And, you know, every country has its own nuances. And I think that's what really got me interested in, in real estate on the techni- te- technology side was, was when I started buying a couple of homes in, in the US. Gotcha. Well, you know, let's jump in and talk a little bit about Blimp then and, and how and what the problem is that you're solving, because it does seem to solve somewhat of, a, of an issue in the industry from what I saw. So tell us a little bit about Blimp. Tell us about maybe how you got started on the specifics of solving the problem and wh- where you saw the problem and then uh, about the company overall. Yeah, so so as I say, I initially bought a property in the US, and I, I was really surprised about the you know how, how much friction there is in buying real estate in the US. I guess my my key takeaway was you know being saved by an amazing realtor. You know, so a realtor really quarterback quarterback the whole transaction. At the time, I really was you know finding my feet, and you know I, I, this is probably many people have a similar experience. You know, you really rely on a great realtor. But I, I also noticed that some of the communication channels were, you know, very legacy and, you know, old fashioned. So I had an amazing realtor who went above and beyond, you know, any sort of call of duty to the point where I left him some keys and he coordinated, you know, um, some repairs and, you know, things which, you know, you, you, you shouldn't really ask a realtor to do. But, but equally, he communicated with, with, with me in many different channels. So he would send me a bunch of links, which I would look at and then... I would then try and remember which out of those links I liked. So I'd, I'd end up clicking, you know, twice and then making handwritten notes. We would speak by phone. He would send me texts and, and so forth. So it was, it was quite a disparate communication channel. And I think that I, I sort of realized that maybe there was a, a way where the consumer could be guided through a transaction in a more logical fashion where they can understand, you know, all of the, the tasks in front of you, all the core services which you need to engage. And above all, perhaps finding all these core services in one place. I think there's some reasons why some of the legacy systems have a lot of friction for consumers is because, you know, you have different channels, you know, different core services competing for consumer attention, essentially. And so in some ways, you know, the consumer is getting dragged from one, you know, you know, sales funnel to another in, you know, which doesn't enhance the consumer experience. So I think that what really um, struck me from my experience and what the problem, one of the key problems we're trying to solve is really helping the guide the consumer through the home prime buying process in a way which is, you know, logical, there are no surprises. So again, I'm a, I'm a you know, a Brit living in Canada and I bought a home in, <laughs> in the US and I'll be really honest, I didn't actually know what title insurance was at that point. So that was a sort of surprise at the end, but again, it was all smoothly navigated thanks to my thanks to my agent but i think the idea really is that the consumers can navigate this process in a more seamless way it feels like one end-to-end transaction not a series of you know sort of disparate transactions you know i need my mortgage now i need my insurance now i need my title insurance and so forth so it seems like a seamless end-to-end transaction and equally for the for the professionals you have the consumer in one place where they're basically saying well i understand that i this is at this point in the process, I realize, realize I do need to put in place insurance. So I do need to find an insurance solution, as an example. So that, you know, in this example, the, the consumer is a willing participant in, in actively seeking those services. So I think it really, the idea really is to solve those 
those friction points for the consumer, but equally solve some problems for the professionals in terms of how do you reach those, reach those consumers. And then I think also overlaid onto this, there is an incentive and reward system to incentivize both professionals and... Well, I think we'll get to that part and, and, and talking about the crypto side, which is certainly an interesting part of what you're doing in, in just a little bit. I, I have a number of questions for you about that, that portion of it. But I want to step back for a second because, you know, you said something kind of interesting. And, and if for frequent listeners of the show, you'll know that we, we had a series of shows that we did about international real estate and how different it was to the United States and, and even in Canada, as somebody who's not from the United States and is used to how things are done in other countries, what do you think are the biggest differences that are there between, you know, maybe purchasing a home in the United States versus in London? I know you mentioned the title insurance thing. I, it, certainly we can start there, but, but what else have you seen that's different? That's probably, yeah, you, you put your finger probably on one of the biggest differences, you know, in England, for instance, and I think this is this is probably an example of, I think the US does it much better. But in, in, in England, you know, if you, if you find a house you'd like to buy and you, you basically reach an agreement with the seller. And by the way, the, in, in, typically in England, this, the, an agent only represents a seller. It's actually quite unusual to have an agent representing a buyer that's normally just sort of, you know, pop stars or something like this, who, or, or, or people who are extremely busy hire a, a, an agent to help them find a home. So typically, you just have an agent representing one side of the transaction. And let's just say you found a home which you're interested to buy. And let's, you know, for the sake of argument, say it's a million pound home in London, be quite a small house, to be honest, in London these days. And all parties are agreed, you then go through a process where the the lawyers check back through the the land registry to make sure there are no sort of strange aspects which can impact the title. And since a lot of these houses are very, very old, you know, I, I remember I bought a house in uh, England, I think it was built in 1850 or, and it had a previous condition on the land that you weren't allowed to graze sheep on the land as an example so it goes really really way way back some of these items and and other strange things about how you know you can't use the house for certain activities and things like this but the key thing is that takes typically takes about three weeks for the the lawyer to check all these old covenants and rights of way to make sure that no one can walk across your land and things like this and during that three-week period somebody else could come along and just outbid you so the, there's a word in England in English called uh, gazumping which just means that, you know, somebody just comes along in that three-week closing period and says, well, I'll pay you 1.1 million and you've lost the, you've lost the house. And in a, in a weak market, the buyers do the, do the opposite. You know, they, 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 they reduce their bid at the last minute. And, you know, quite often the person has no alternative but to accept that lower bid. So I think, you know, the title side is handled quite differently. You clear all the title, you know, deficiencies and do all the analysis during the closing process, but you haven't actually bought the home. So, of course, that's very, very different from the U.S. And I have to say, I think the U.S. is a much more satisfactory system, you know, in, in that sense. So, you know, obviously, when when somebody goes under contract here, uh, you know, that does seem to be better. I, I'm very glad in the United States and Canada, for that matter, we don't have gazumping. <laughs> that's going to be a, maybe a new uh, new word in my vernacular here of making sure you don't get gazumped. But that, you know, that is a, pro that does seem like a problem where you have almost no security in, in the deal. Cause I know, you know, when, when I purchased homes, for example, I purchased a home last year 
And two weeks later, I purchased it right at the beginning of the pandemic on purpose because I, I recognized the data that showed that real estate was going to rebound very quickly. And I got a crazy deal. And I definitely would have gotten gazumped because somebody else would have definitely come along had it been a different rule and seen that the property was for sale, made a higher bid because of the seller you know, wanting to sell quickly, worried about the pandemic. So definitely seems like a better model there. Also, you know, I, that what you said about buyer's agents, it's still shocking to me. I, I have a, a friend in Georgia, not the state, the country, and he is has been actively going around to different countries, trying to essentially push the concept of the, the value of a buyer's agent in representing the buyer and making sure that they had, you know, somebody fighting for their behalf on their behalf. And it seems like that's not the way it is on a lot of places. So, you know, let's, let's, you know, talk a little bit about the, 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 the app and, and what we're doing here. Cause in playing with it, it seems like the idea, the main idea is, is we're connecting up uh, a number of, of, party stakeholders in the system, right? So being the idea is I can go in there as an agent, set up a transaction and then invite multiple people in. So, you know, it kind of begs the question of, you know, is it, is the idea that there's this one place for all of communication? Cause I think today, a lot of this is just done over text messages. You know, the agent goes in their iMessages app on their phone and text the lender and say, Hey, what's the status? And then they click and text the, the buyer uh, or the seller and just kind of give them an update on what's going on. So is the idea here to have more of a centralized location for that or, or what's the long-term goal? Maybe, maybe you've got something that you're working on that's adding on to that, that will provide more functionality. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the idea of communicating through text, it, it, it definitely works to a certain, certain, a certain point, but here's an example. My daughters were looking for a house to rent actually in, in California, you know, uh, uh, a year or two ago. And uh, they were sharing, you know, properties with us, you know, do we think this is a good one or not? And they were, they were obviously sharing it with um, the other, the other students who were looking to live in the same house. So, you know, there's multiple people on this and literally people were saying, <clears throat> sending texts around, you know, you know, and uh, people are, people are pulling in listings from, you know, different, different, you know, Zillow listings and so forth. And then people would say, well, what did you think of the one which I marked with an exclamation point? Or what do you think about the one I put a heart next to? So once you get into sort of multiple parties looking to look at properties and share their share their thoughts on the property, it actually gets complicated quite quite quickly. And email doesn't solve it very well either. As I say, you know, if you get a series of links, you know, somehow the human brain, it's or maybe it's just my brain, but if somebody sends me 10 links and I open them all and it's four houses I'd quite like to see. For some reason, I'm, I, I sort of have to go back and remember which, which, which those were. So I think one of the, one of the key advantages of our, of our app is that people, even before they um, select a, a realtor, for instance, to help them, consumers could just simply share listings and exchange views. You can pull in listings from different sources and basically just chat about them. So it's a little bit, you know, a little bit like Slack for real estate, if you, if, if you like. And I think this is, this is you know, a superior experience to to texting and then then they can then invite the consumer can invite you know the various professionals they need to help them probably very likely guided by you know their realtor so for instance you know they can then bring in you know somebody on the mortgage side somebody on the insurance insurance side and so forth and then they can have you know multiple chats 
of course, some of the communication is, is just in private chats, you know, what, what is discussed between the mortgage broker and the consumer would not be, for instance, necessarily shown uh, to the realtor. Although some, sometimes that's a very, very key sort of, you know, communication channel with those three parties very often are very core to it. But there's some information which shouldn't be shared. So for instance, uploading documents or just sharing, sharing more confidential things. So it really puts the power back in the hands of the consumer in terms of they understand the transaction. They can look at lots of different properties, share properties, discuss them. I mean, a, a very typical flow would be you know, they would, they would have shared, you know, three or four properties among themselves, for instance, you know, if there's more than one party buying, then they bring a realtor into the, into the mix and say, look, these are the home, this is the type of home I've been looking at. And, and, you know, probably these days they'd say, and every time we looked at it, it's already gone, but this, could you now help us? And then, and then the realtor would then say, well, here's 10 others, which we think you should take a look at. And then you start this, you know, rich communication, which is, you know, very, very good for all, all parties. And then I think on the task side, there's a task management side. Again, you know, I was the stupid Brit from Canada who didn't really understand, fully understand the process in the US. But if I'd had that tool, which basically said that at these stages in the transaction, you're going to need these professionals to support you, that would have been very, very helpful and, you know, would have, would have led to less surprises on, on my side. So I think it's, it's really, it's very much trying to work with the, with the industry, working with professionals understanding that a good agent is really going to quarterback these transactions and that, you know, they can really guide you in terms of, you know, the whole flow and the whole process. In terms of our longer term ambitions, well, I think, you know, the, the incentive and reward, reward side is a, is a very big part of what we're trying to do. But I think we have lots of other ideas about how we can create some very interesting tools to help agents do their jobs better. You know, we have a very uh, strong data science team. We have access to very rich data. Some of it potentially is unique data and some data we'd like to use incentives to, to acquire. But again, the mantra really is how can, we, how can we use data to create a better consumer experience and help professionals do their job better? I guess that's really the, the sort of core of it. So let's talk about data for just a second, because it, it, it really seems like that's where your, your value, where you're trying to drive corporate value in the system. So is, is the idea that you're collecting this data and knowing about the person buying or, or selling a home and to be able to sell that data to, for example, a moving company or to insurance companies or something like that? Or is it something that I'm not thinking of? Yeah, it's, I would say it's a little bit different from that. I think that the model is not really, strictly speaking, selling selling that information to yeah, it's like a moving po- uh, company and so forth. But I think the idea is that, well, first of all, you know, we're, we're getting, we've acquired, you know, extensive data sets, you know, we'll, you know, from on, on, on homes and demographics and so forth to create a richer experience. We will also acquire in certain regions, we're testing a search size so that we can also mash up live MLS listings with, with other sort of public records and uh, demographic data. But I think the other idea is that we can then have a relationship with a consumer where we learn more about their, their needs, which can you know, drive some analytics around propensity to sell and, and so forth, which again is, is I think going to be very interesting for, for realtors. But I think you know, we're never going to sort of sell that data per se. It's more really giving uh, consumers choices around you know, the, the, the vendors they would like to use. 
So, you know, for instance, you know, on the, on the, on the mortgage side, it would be giving them, the, the, you know, a, a selection of mortgage brokers for them to, to, to choose. And really, so it's about empowering the consumer to, to bring in the vendors who can most meet their needs. But, you know, we're not going to sort of uh, sell the data per se, you know, to, I don't know, for instance, I don't know, I don't know some, as an example, there's some correlation between new car ownership and uh, buying homes. So we're not going to sell this data to, you know, car manufacturers or salespeople to, to, to sort of reach the consumer. The data would only ever be used to enrich the experience of the consumer and help them make better choices. So in that way, it seems like it's kind of like a credit karma, almost, if you're familiar with them, where they're not necessarily selling off your data, but they're exposing offers to you based upon your data that they have. Is that, is that kind of accurate or, or am I understanding it incorrectly? I think, I think maybe we're going in that direction. I mean, maybe in the end, there could be a sort of a marketplace for, for mortgages or a marketplace for insurance products. It's not really in the first iteration. Perhaps that's a, lot, a, a direction we might go in, but it's not, it's not really immediately on our product horizon right now. But I think, yes, giving them choices, they will understand that they'll need a mortgage professional to help them or an insurance professional to help them. And it will give them a selection of those, those, those people to, to reach out to. And again, I think back to this idea of, you know, having a consumer who is, is you know, positively willing to be engaged. This is also going to probably reduce the CAC for professionals and also you know, it just have a better communication with that with that uh, consumer because the consumer is basically saying, "I realize now in the it, where I'm in this process, I realize I do need to have insurance because well, without insurance, I'm not going to get my mortgage." And so, this is the right moment to really seek quotes for you know insurance and reach out to different different insurance professionals. So, how how do I best do that? And really, we're we're one we're a tool which is going to try and help them to make that the best decision. Yeah. And just for the listeners that uh, haven't heard that term, because I'm always big on trying to make sure that the brokers and staff people and agents listening know when Matt said CAC there, that's uh, CAC cost of acquisition, uh, cost of the acquisition of the customer. So uh, essentially, you know, that it would be cheaper than maybe going to Zillow to get a new lead or, or that an insurance company would be, it would be cheaper than buying a new lead. Um, so Matt, that kind of begs the next question, of course, which is, Right now, if I play with the app, it kind of seems like when the transaction ends, then the usefulness of the app ends, the, the journey of the customer ends. So two, two questions here. Number one is, you know, it doesn't seem like that's the case of what you're saying in an ongoing manner. So, you know, am I, am I understanding it correctly that your goal is to stay useful to the consumer and for over time? And then the second question is, in a world where Apple has started making their apps all offload if you don't use them frequently, which it seems like this app is very possible for that after you would close, it might be 90 days or more before you touch it again, in which case Apple would offload it. How do you get a consumer to make sure they're engaged with the app and therefore keeping it on their home screen and of course getting the push notifications, which you know most people know are pretty darn valuable. Yeah, no, great questions, really. I think you, you, you're absolutely right. We do want to keep that consumer engagement beyond the transaction. <clears throat> and that's, that's really, again, to help, you know, professionals, in particular agents, you know, do their job better with really to 
create engagement so that the agent can keep in front of their customer. <clears throat> I believe some of the statistics around customer retention, you know, are really quite low. The ones I've seen, you know, in the sort of you know, 20 to 25% uh, range. So, you know, if, 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 if agents can retain their customers better, you know, this is a tremendous source of future business. So I think one of the ways we'd like to do that is to encourage homeowners to continue to give us useful data. And again, this, 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 probably is going to bleed into this question around the, you know, the, the incentives, but we'd also through, you know, analytics, we'd like to, you know, keep, keep an engagement with the consumer where we say, you know, a similar home to yours just sold, you know, two blocks away, you know, for, you know, hundred thousand dollars more than you pay for it. And we will give that, we will push that information to the, the agent who had closed that transaction and say, would you like to use this as an opportunity to reach back out to to your client? Now I'm sure they're not going to click yes every every you know two weeks, but it, it certainly is going to be a way they can keep you know perhaps every you know two or three months they can basically say that was a great purchase. You know, just so you know, a house uh, nearby very similar sold for hundred thousand dollars more, and it's just really a way of just keeping the engagement. And then the other thing is that if if consumers give us interesting information about their their life cycle you know and about what they're doing to the home you know whether they're putting in you know new roofs and so forth i think this is also a very interesting information which our data scientists are going to build models around propensity to sell again to feed this back to agents to help them keep the engagement with customers so it, I mean, I know you said that you acquire data, but as a data junkie, and I oftentimes say that Tribus at its core is a data company. And in, in fact, one of the things that is, is pretty crazy is when I look through our archives, we have data on 92% of every real estate transaction that's happened going back seven plus years in, in that data set. And so, you know, when it comes to that, it seems like your data is reliant from, at least from a front facing, from an outsider perspective, is relying on you getting data into the system and then seeing what happens on an ongoing basis. But it sounded like you acquired a data set that you're going to use to augment that data. Is that correct? Yeah, we're, we're certainly, we're starting off with a large data set, uh, which is probably similar to you know, the data sets that, you, that you, you may have acquired, for instance. And then we want to augment that with you know, a unique data, which is going to be derived through our, our reward system and the analytics we're going to do around the homes, which we will close through the transaction through our, through our platform. Sorry. Gotcha. Well, and, and that kind of begs the next question too, which is, you know, let's, cause we're, we're kind of running out of time and I thought we were going to get to this a little sooner, but I'm glad about the conversation <laughs> that we've had so far, which is from at least from your website, it seems like blockchain and the offering of a token is is kind of you know something that that's important to what you're doing and important to your your compensation to the agent slash consumer and you're connected up with the home network foundation token and so they for that folks under listening understand is the idea here is that you would earn tokens based upon what you do in the system so would you say that as it sits currently that the crypto portion of it is you're trying to make that a main driver of getting people to use the app or no i think yes i mean first of all the token isn't live yet so so nothing has happened with the token but it will happen fairly soon and the and the initial sort of allocation of tokens will be directly to real estate professionals. 
So the, the first idea is to try to get as much of the of the network, which is going to share in you know the the value of the network, uh, to get as much of this network in the hands of the professionals. So it really comes back to this core idea of who contributes to the transaction, and and so who should really derive most of the benefits. So our thesis, and I think you know if if you if you read the white paper, which has been you know generated by the Home Network Foundation, the core thesis is that the contributors to the network should should reap the benefits and those really and who are those it's really the professionals and the consumers so really it's it's the idea is try to share the benefit between those those groups so it's not that blimp is trying to although blimp uses the token or will use the token and will you know be a big advocate of this um, of this um, token protocol you know the idea is not that blimp will insert itself in into this into this process it's really to share this benefit between the major contributors but yes, we we're big believers in the in the in the in the power of um, cryptocurrency networks. You know, I think that a, a lot is lost in the obviously in the jargon. You know, blockchain and crypto is a very hype right now. But and you know, we all we all drink the Kool Aid. You know, we've all been quite deeply involved in these in these markets for some time. I've got quite a deep background. You know, since well, especially since 2016, 17, I've been very heavily involved in this area. If we sort of simplify it, and again, you know, one of the, our core ideas at Blimp is really to abstract away the complexity, you know, so there's a very, if you like, sort of nerdy insider, you know, sort of view of, of, of crypto and blockchain. I mean, of course, you know, we we have people on our team who are very deeply into this and, and engineers and developers who fully understand this. But in terms of the experience for professionals and consumers, one of our core goals is to abstract away the complexity. You know, we all use email, but nobody, not many people know much about packet switching, for instance. And I think the, the, the core element of cryptocurrencies is the ability to distribute value through networks. That's really the, one of the key breakthroughs which happened with the advent of, you know, blockchain technology and obviously initially uh, Bitcoin. But one of, the, one of the core ideas is that you could distribute value to between unknown actors. So if you like, we're moving from an era of the Internet of Information to the Internet of Value would be one, one way of putting it. And, it, you know, in a simple way, what this really means is that the, the users of a service or the users of, of a network are the people who benefit. So it's really pushing the value away from corporate shareholders and into the people who use a system. And I think that's, you know, very, first of all, very intellectually interesting, but I also think it's, it's really going to become a very major theme over the coming decades, really, that this is going to transform the landscape of, of business, really. And real estate, obviously, is one area where it could uh, provide a lot of value and drive, drive appropriate incentives to the people who are contributing. Apologies, that was probably a very long-winded polemic, but <laughs> I mean, so I, I would suggest that most people in our, in our industry have heard of of Bitcoin before, but I think there's a big big belief in in the real estate brokerage world, certainly organized real estate brokerage world. It it doesn't necessarily have a good spot outside of deed recording title, you know, recording title and ownership of of homes. It seems like it's trying to be used for lots of different things. But but every single attempt to do that has kind of ha, has kind of gone away, or they've shifted their focus to something else. 
you know, and this is one of the one of the places that I see people shift to, which is offer a coin or offer something of value to encourage usage of the platform that, you know, maybe doesn't have to store the data on the blockchain, but there's some sort of incentive. And that's where they've gone with some of these, these blockchain methods. So it'll be interesting to see how well that works, you know, when the coin or when the offering is in its infancy stages. I mean, everybody knows Bitcoin was worth, you know, hundreds of pennies 10 years ago. And there's people that became multi, multi-millionaires just by holding on to it, where now it's, you know, $30,000. And it was high as I think 58 or $59,000 earlier this year. So, you know, that there are opportunities that there that are there, but it seems like there's a lot of them that kind of just go away after a while and don't have a ton of value. And if you're, if you're, if your value is based around that concept of getting a token, you're essentially, you know, would you say that you're kind of playing into gamblers or you, would you essentially say that this is a bonus feature where it's nice and if it works out and if it's worth money down the road, then fabulous. And if not, okay, well, who cares? You, you were getting something for free anyways. Yeah, I think it's really, I wouldn't talk about value or what it's going to be worth or anything in those terms at all. It's really more about the utility of the token. So you're right. If people sort of tag a tokenized network or cryptocurrency onto a business and sort of see see if it works, yeah, you know, I think there were lots of models, especially in sort of 2017, 18, which tried that that use case. And unless it's sort of integral and core to a business model, it's not going to work. So I think that you know our thesis is that you know a decentralized system where all the participants are sharing in the value of a network. So not as a speculation, but just because you are in this network. So we're not, you know, encouraging, you know, at all speculators to come into this, into this token network. It's really all about the product. It's all about the utility of, you know, how can you earn tokens? How can you use these tokens in our system? And, you know, as an example, we're not selling tokens for cash or anything like this. It's really all about how, you know, uh, it's, I suppose, really, in a sense, it's about, you know, in, incentives and rewards and how you can use those rewards in a system to benefit consumers and professionals. That would be the thesis. And our platform is just happens to be one platform where you can use these tokens, but there'll be many others. And in fact, the Home Network Foundation announced a cooperation with another platform recently. So for instance, you know, there could be, and there are many, many business use cases in the in the real estate transaction world which could benefit from using the home token. So, you know, our use cases just happens to be one. You know, the home, the home Network Foundation is completely independent from Blimp. You know, we're just an application using this home protocol. But I think that you, you rightly say there's been some false starts and some use cases of blockchain in real estate, which perhaps are too early, you know, in the sense of, you know, putting transactions on the blockchain itself is a very, very interesting thesis and it's time will come. But that's really quite early in my, in my personal opinion, that's quite early still, but it's, it's, a, it's a completely logical endpoint, you know, because, you know, it's a decentralized ledger where, you know, you can see the immutable history of, of transactions. I think it's, it's a very, very logical uh, way of using blockchain, but that's not our thesis uh, for Blimp and it's not what we're trying to do. We're really in the world of distributing incentives um, and rewards to to help consumers and professionals derive you know utility from 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 transactions 
Gotcha. Well, we're we're pretty much out of time, but there are two questions that I wanted to to, to ask you here. And one is you you mentioned that you were getting into the space of getting data from MLSs. That's always a hot topic, particularly for me, but in general, I think for a lot of the listeners of the show, uh, can you talk a little bit about your experience in in working with MLSs and going to get the data from them and how that's gone? Yeah, again, it's it's, it's still quite an early early stage for us and. It's something which we're, we're quite frankly, we're testing. But obviously, we're not in the business of at all transacting real estate. So, you know, you know, if we become a member of of an MLS and you know, we get a brokerage license in that particular state, that would be really to facilitate access to you know live listings in a in a compliant way. So, definitely no no transacting properties or not trying to compete in that sense. But I think you know we'll test that in one or two states, and then there are other models where we may not do that. So I think, I guess that's the best way I can put it is that, you know, that it, it is quite complex. And I think the consumers alongside, you know, rich data around homes and, you know, there's some of the experiences we think we can bring from our sort of data scientists using, you know, innovative AI and so forth. I think, I think consumers still expect to see live listings adjacent or in the same space, but we're not in the business of obviously competing head to head with any of the, any of the major search portals or anything like that. Do you plan on doing anything as a vendor with the MLS as opposed to being a broker that, that's there so that you can go get data on behalf of a client of yours, one of, one of your brokerage or agent partners? I think that's, that's something which we might explore. Yeah, so I think we're in, in the business of really saying, what is the simplest way we could acquire data to display it compliantly to, to consumers? And that, that could be definitely one, one route. I mean, we definitely have we, we definitely have partnerships with certain brokerages or franchises in, in different states. So that may be something which we may discuss with them, but we haven't, frankly speaking, done that so far. Gotcha. Okay. And then the last question for, for listeners, they all know that the last question I ask everybody is the same question, because I always like getting your take on it, and particularly as a, somebody that's an outsider that doesn't have 20 plus years of experience in this field like I do or like many of our guests do, some somebody that comes from your world, I, I can't wait to get the answer to this question, which is if there is one thing that you could change about the residential real estate industry, what would that one thing be? Hmm, that's a very deep question. <laughs> I would say really that it would be making it easier for consumers to get access to information. I think that would probably be the my number one that you've just you've just touched on how complex it is, you know, for us to display live listings and um, you know there are you know should, should we have you know relationships with existing brokers, should we become a broker ourselves and so forth. And and really all we're trying to do is offer data to consumers to make informed choices and indeed then use those choices to go and select the professionals, you know, go and choose a fantastic realtor. I would say that, yeah, if, 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 if I had one thought, it would be, could this process be simplified that, you know, we're not trying to transact homes, but is there a, is there a, is there a simplified way where we could display data for consumers? That perhaps would be one, but that's just as a kind of outsider coming from, you know, from another country, sort of looking, looking at the US and thinking, you know, how could we just make the consumer experience better and how can we connect consumers better with professionals? Sounds good. Well, thanks, Matt, for joining us. Again, you've been listening to Matt Shaw. Now, Matt's the CEO of Blimp Homes, 
a mobile-only real estate technology company. You can check them out in the App Store, either the Android or the iPhone App Store. So go take a peek at it. And I'm sure Matt would appreciate your feedback. Matt, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you. You've been listening to Brokerage Insider, the podcast where we interview the leaders in real estate and technology. Make sure you subscribe using your favorite podcast player to get this episode and every future episode automatically downloaded to your device every single Monday. Thanks everybody for listening.